and welcome back to I Haven't Heard That Name in Years, the memoir podcast of Hannah Harkness, or depending on who you talk to, Hannah Sutton or Shortstack. I have had a lot of different names, uh, and so far we are just covering the Hannah Sutton years. Uh, Hannah Sutton being a person that right now I generally am only on uh, legal paperwork and people that knew me from this part of my life first. Uh, if you've been following the podcast, you know that I have been releasing these in uh, chronological order of when I met the person. So we started with my mother because I came out of my mother and then you had some family members and then we went through elementary school, junior high, and now we are in high school and now we are interviewing one of my teachers from high school, my film teacher, Mr. Quigley. Uh, the reason that I decided, because obviously um, that I, I just want to put out there, I've had a, a lot of really great teachers. Uh, Abington was a complete, like, I, I can't believe that's a public school. Like, it's just, it, it, like, it was, I have, like, no notes and like other than you know various infrastructure fails and shit like that i mean you know it's still like yeah the the public school element of it honestly had a lot more to do with like air conditioner failures than the actual quality of the education the quality of the education was awesome and there was a lot of people that in particular the art department that were super supportive of me being incredibly weird and i'm always going to be grateful for that uh Brian, I needed to bring on the podcast because eventually, uh, it's it's gonna take a while, but eventually we're going to be constantly talking about comedy as a force in my life, and this is kind of the origin story of me doing comedy at all, and also at this point in my life, it's the story that I've looped back to, the story of me making... Brendan small home movies like sketches with my friends all the time in the suburbs you know this was you know, me being able to use the equipment at my high school to essentially have my own like weird Mr. Show type sketch outlet for you know a couple of years in the context of public school, and it had viewership probably bigger than, uh, I mean, really, if you think, God, you know, if you think about how many people view my content and everything like that, and this is before you could post things anywhere, uh, this, these sketches, you know, they're part of, uh, AMTV, which is, like, the, uh, show that the film class broadcast on the, the closed-circuit TV system they use in the high school, uh, is, like, everybody at my school saw that, you know, everybody at my school saw my sketch comedy before you could even, you know, post that kind of thing online, or we were even just, you know, in the baby phases of posting, you know, with like flash animations and that stuff. But you have to understand that my school, uh, my high school uh, was huge. I graduated in a class of uh, 639 people, I think, and there were three grades in the building. At that point, there were not four grades in the building yet. The building wasn't physically large enough. Uh, like, I remember when I graduated, the incoming sophomore class was 700 people. Like, so you have to realize that this gave me the opportunity for... Uh, over a thousand people to see my sketch comedy and they had to do so as a captive audience at the amazing time of 7.35 in the morning, which I cannot imagine anybody being exposed to my shit at 7.35 in the morning, um, whether they like it or not, as part of the, you know, the warm-up to the day. It goes like Pledge of Allegiance and then my weird bullshit and, you know, all of the other film students' weird bullshit as well. Um, and this is what I've returned to at this point with projects like Brooklyn Battle Comedy and Kate's Bunkers, that this is just me and my friends, you know, making really cool videos, not content. Remember when there were videos, uh, grandpas and grandmas out there like me? Yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't content because there was no, uh, container for the content. <laughs> There's nowhere to fucking post it, but I did a lot of people did get to see it, and I got to become a weird minor celebrity in my high school because I had that outlet. And, you know, I didn't contextualize it as, like, sketch comedy at the time. I'm just, like, doing what I want. And, you know, it took, like, it wasn't until the year after I graduated high school that I even uh, attempted to do stand-up. 
but it was the, you know, start of it. It was the outlet and it was most of the first scripts I wrote that ever came to fruition. And it took a couple of decades uh, before I would jump back into that world again. And here we are. So, you know, while you still have a long memoir journey until you get to the point that I'm talking about now, for me, emotionally, this was a really full circle, cool interview to do, uh, because there's just the people that have to deal with me on an administrative level. I don't even know how to say that. Like my boss, like anybody who's ever been my boss, teacher, supervisor, something like that. Um, they always remember it way more about me than I would ever expect. Uh, and I talked to Mr. Quigley or, you know, Brian uh, Quigley, whatever, you know, it's still, (laughs) you gotta love how they, ingrain this protocol into you in high school and then you grow up and you're both adults and still it's difficult to shake but Brian made a huge impact on my life and I'm really glad that I managed to get an interview so uh, we can all see the origin story of this madness and one of the earliest uh, enablers of my creative bullshit And shout out to everybody who's done that since then, including New Queer Order, this here podcast network. And please uh, check out all of the other podcasts on this network. This is an awesome podcast network. You should love us, each and every one of us weirdos, uh, and they foster creativity here. And for for any other reason that you'd like to, you know, hear more of my stuff, please uh, check out Kate's Bunker or Brooklyn Battle Comedy, my things. All right, and let's roll in to this portion of the memoir. We're back. So welcome back, uh, friends and family and parasocial relationships, too. I haven't heard that name in years. Uh, So today I am being joined by my high school film teacher and I think at one point creative writing teacher, Mr. Quigley is or is Brian Quigley. We're we're doing Brian now because that's it's it's weird if you carry the Mr. past a certain I don't know how many years, but (laughs) although I think you only ever called me Quigley anyway, so. Oh I'll, man, I'll, yeah, and that that was probably carried on from Joe and Seamus. I kind of uh, by yeah. by this episode, we'll have released an episode interview with Joe, so uh, we will have already talked about a little bit of this stuff. But yeah, no, Joe and Seamus are kind of the people whose coattails I wrote in on as far as filming content for the announcement, which did not used to be called content in two thousand five. We made videos. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. And um, I would I would not say coattails. I, I think that's selling you a little bit short. Oh, well, shucks. Thank you. Yeah. I this was the start of my workhorse creative career, you know. Like I made uh you know, I had like sketches and stuff that I made when I was like a kid, but you know, that was just like stuff I was performing for my friends. Uh, and then my brother, uh, who I interviewed a few episodes ago was like a jackass era skateboarder and CKY punk video kind of guy. So I would help him with that stuff too when I was younger because they were all filming each other crashing shopping carts into things in that area of the 90s. But I wouldn't actually make sketch comedy until I hit uh, AmpTV, uh, which is Abington Media Productions, is the acronym there, and got into high school for that. And then it was, and it was because I was friends with Seamus and Joe. Thank you for asking me to bump my self esteem. Uh, th- Thirteen years of stand up comedy will kill you in that department. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was there at the beginning of the tour de force that is Hannah Sutton. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and you were also present for Hannah Sutton, which is something I'm broken record in the first, like, I'm releasing these episodes in the order of which I met the person in the period of my life, so I think I've said this on every episode, you actually knew Hannah Sutton, I effectively stopped using real names sometime around 2007, so I was, like, short stack, Hannah Sutton got erased from the internet apart from LinkedIn for years, because now I'm Hannah Harkness, so I appreciate anyone who knew me then, I've also been 
blonde, like shock blonde since I was 27. So there are some people I'll talk to from the podcast that are like, whoa, what happened to your hair? I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, you, you missed that too. I uh, first uh, definitely the first thing I want to talk about is just besides the state of education in general over the last two years has been like completely thrown for a wood chipper. But just in this specific context of uh, what you were teaching when I was in high school is you were working with like film and AV club students, uh, but it was 2005 and 2006. Uh, could you like maybe give an overview of the equipment we were working on back then versus like what's going on now? Well, I started at Abington in 99, 2000. And at that point we were actually, I think the first thing that Seamus ever had to edit was using two VCRs. Oh my God. We had a, cam- a camera that recorded the VHS tape, but pretty quickly, I think in 2003 and four, uh, we got digital eight millimeter cameras. So it was still tape and we had to capture into one editing computer that we had at the time. Right. Uh, it was a long, tricky, tedious process. You had to capture in real time. Our, uh, we used Adobe Premiere Pro. I got in early on that whole uh, thing. So we could make videos, but it was just a lot different than it is today, for sure. Uh, the classes were Media Production Workshop was the first one that you took. And our whole goal was to produce uh, how I started and why they gave it to me is that uh, I want to start a five-minute daily announcement show uh, and make a TV station called Amp TV and try and get my kids in that class and anyone else to produce content for the whole school to see every day. That has since changed just recently this year. We changed over to a new weekly TV show with a name and a theme song and it's started out uh really well so far we're eight episodes deep that's really awesome yeah and and before we hit record i remember talking i i just we touched on briefly for a second that the you know i couldn't post any of my stuff when i recorded it with you there was nowhere to post i think like youtube did exist um, and I only knew about like Facebook because I was 18 dating a college student, which is a completely different uh, ball of wax. Uh, but, you know, nothing was called content and nothing. It was all like videos. And it's just like that. That really changes things. You know, like there's no stakes. There was no ability for me to get famous at that point. Whereas like high schools like to has any like do, does MTV stuff ever go viral or. Um, Things like shortly after you left in 2000, well, actually five. You remember Matt McMillan by any chance? I do remember Matt McMillan, yeah. He and graduated I, in 05. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, I graduated he, 06. Yeah, he's uh, he, not so much while he was in high school, but shortly thereafter, uh, he said some things that go viral. But like you said, I don't even think when you were in school, I don't think you two existed certainly not in the way that we know it now i remember the your way to get out content was our five minute show and then making yeah. do you still have your dvd that you made your best of i absolutely Canada? do i ho- i hope it still works for the purposes of this and eventually i got to figure out some way to convert the dvd to the digital i'm sure my dad knows how to do that or something but uh yeah no, uh, I, I know s- how to do that i had to do that with all of my uh best of amp tv dvd so if you if you can't pull it off, just let me know. I can, oh, uh, okay. Well, that's that's awesome because I don't want that to totally be lost to time, especially since my career has come full circle. And uh, like in the the pandemic is when I finally did my nice little Irish goodbye to stand up comedy, at least for the time being, uh, mm-hmm. because it's a uh, an art form where you you laugh droplets into each other's face in poorly ventilated rooms. And uh, I at the at the time of high school, I did not know that I was bipolar one or that I had to so you don't want to just mess with my neurology like that uh but um i have gotten to the point now where i am like filming stuff it started as audio and everything but like i did actually film the series for iwtv and i never was i was always thinking about how like this is completely full circle. I'm in my 30s now, and I've just gone right back to high school doing the stuff I used to enjoy before, and it's it's really nice. And it's one of those things that, like, 
I got so lucky in public education going to Abington, you know, like, this is just something that's just not every school had, and you gave us a lot more creative freedom than, uh, a lot of places probably would, you know, like, I know a lot of the stuff I was putting on the announcements is very adult swim if informed and like out of pocket, but there, there was so much. We, going uh, on. we put, we pushed the edge for sure. And I, I have never stopped uh, encouraging that. And just to maybe give your audience a quick example of just how uh, open your parameters were. If you wanted to create something, you go right ahead. I still tell the story to my uh, video production one classes. I, I don't know if you remember. I remember. I tell the story almost every year. Mm-hmm. The kind of class that, well, now it's video production one. It used to be media production workshop. Mm-hmm. Not only can you come in and tell me what you want to do for the next day, weeks, months, the whole year, I encourage that. So the best example of that from your experience was I remember you came in to the doorway, swung the door open, and said, I have an idea. I'm like, okay, here we go. Flash dance meets gravy bowl. Do you remember that at all? <laughs> How could yeah. I forget? The short of it is you basically asked me, we're going to need to get a picture of a you know dirty warehouse, have you dance around, and then I get to throw a five-gallon bucket of gravy on you. And name another class, name another place where your teacher will say, absolutely. I got giddy. I was excited. And I, lo and behold, I did uh, throw a gigantic bucket of gravy on you. Yeah, although I will correct, it was not actual gravy. It was uh, like true. some kind of paint mixture that I made up. And also for context, there was a, I for, the gravy bowl at Abington, it was some kind of like charity football game, right? Is that yeah, what that was? Yeah, it was like a, a flag football tournament held on Thanksgiving. It had a name, the gravy bowl. And yeah, you took it to uh, the next level. We ruined uh, our blue cloth green screen doing it. Uh, the floor <laughs> was quite a, quite a mess. But hey, any anything for art, I guess. Absolutely, no, we we really did that, and then I uh, I painted a new green screen uh, to atone for my uh, creative casualty. Uh, so that well. I did actually I did actually fix that on my own. But yeah, that that is one of the more out of pocket examples for sure. It also cracks me up that I'm just like I'm gonna drop a flash dance reference on early aughts high schoolers at seven o'clock in the morning. Not at many of the, maybe a lot of them haven't seen it. Uh, but it doesn't matter to me, so I'm just going to do this. So really, from a lot of students' perspective, I, it probably was just me getting gravy thrown on me, and they're, like, not really sure why, which cracks me the fuck up. Um, yeah. <laughs> My story didn't, uh, quite, as time went on, didn't resonate. People didn't know what flash dance was until I got lucky. Uh, I think Jennifer Lopez made some kind of music video where she was not spoofing flash dance, I guess just making her own version and had the whole bucket and all that. So some kids kind of know what I'm talking about, but once I show that, show it to them, they understand that uh, I'm open to pretty much do anything. That's amazing. I like that my, uh, like mania, my creative mania has like stood the test of time. Uh, and my, my legacy, this, this will be my like high school legacy forever is just this like out of pocket creative. Like I was really like, I, I'm, I would like to think I'm still pretty unhinged now, you know, like in the middle of uh, the, I call everything before the vaccine and the pandemic cowboy times, just because of how crazy it was. But like in the middle of yeah. cowboy times i filmed this mockumentary about wrestling in new york uh with no permit in like major locations so it's not like i'm not still like that but i still think there's just you know the unhinged optimism and creativity that had not been ruined by the real world yet was something really special about everything that i was producing in high school and i really just took advantage of the creative freedom thing i think that my my favorite one as far as like pushing the line that this is the one that the most students would come up to me about in the hallway was i did the one that was like for soft hop just by the way most of the things on this closed circuit channel were like advertisements and sketches for things going on like extracurricular activities like we just needed some roundabout way to say like sign up for the talent show in cafeteria a or whatever so you know and uh you did uh you did some completely wacky public service announcement videos as well 
oh. thinking about Mr. Roboto. Remember uh, your costume that you made for, I forget his name, Alan? Alan. Alan. Yeah, Alan Santos. Absolutely. Yeah, no, they had a pro. I had a pro recycling Mr. Roboto music video that was just like a a, a whole dramatic thing about a robot telling people to recycle like a pro recycling robot that they were woken up. And then I had like they had he had like two backup singers uh, as Ed and I I forget Courtney. I think their names were that they had like brightly colored blazers that I was her name uh, name Becky or something like that. I thought her name was Becky something. Becky, I maybe I don't know. Uh, I, I, but... Well, it wasn't just those two. You commandeered the class for like two days. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> everyone, everyone was involved in one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. And I got a couple of people in the cheerleading squad to dance in the dance montage in the back. I had to do like there was a, d- a dance montage at the end uh, that was like in front of the green screen in this trippy psychedelic background. I had two chicks from the cheerleading squad. I had a guy I had Pete DiPolito in a gorilla mask dancing. I, yes. you know, it, it was me and a couple other people. There was like a choreographed scene in the hallway with people holding like recycle logos and shit. And like, yeah. the, it, you know, a nice like jump shot of like a freeze in the air at the end. It was, it was so overdramatic, but like the, the like that one definitely stu- stood out as like a landmark achievement. I think the one that students actually came up to me the most about, which is that this is this is what I would eventually learn creative careers are like, is that the um, piece of art that you felt as though it was like a throwaway is the one that becomes the most popular. It was the one where it was for soft hop. So students would buy tickets for like so- the sophomore dance. And I had a thing outside the art room. I had Matt Bartle and Dan Kress uh, pretend like they were going to ask the same girl out to the dance. And then Matt turns to the camera and goes, there's only one way to solve this. And they do rock, paper, scissors for it. And then uh, like, I forget. Yeah, it was it was scissors. Uh, yeah, like Dan put out paper and then Matt put out scissors and he goes, ha ha, you know, scissors cuts the paper. And then Dan pulls a newspaper out of his pocket and suffocates Matt on the ground. Well, I, and we, and we I, do a real close in shot of like rubbing it into his face and him like clearly blacking out. And then he takes Abby out and then Matt wakes up and goes, hey, hey, oh, not again. And then it just cuts to like sign up for soft hop in cafeteria. A. <laughs> I always, I always kind of remembered it as being a chloroform rag, but uh, who knows? It could have been a newspaper. I do remember that. What's wrong with a little um, uh, attempted murder on a high school morning announcements program, right? Yeah, nothing. It's 7 a.m. And people thought it was hilarious. And, you know, if we were actually in advertising, like if it mattered, that got the point across. People knew where to get their tickets in the cafeteria. Like we did our job. If Yeah, know, it doesn't it, matter if uh, you can fully make sense of it or understand it or be shocked by it. You know that the soft hop's going on and you know where to get tickets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, you know, and that's the, that would eventually, like, put you in a good position to, you know, these are marketing lessons that you need to learn. You get the message across. I will say, I do know for a fact it was paper, because in my mind, the joke was that Dan lost with paper, but then he won with paper. Oh. So, geez. I was like, it needs to be a newspaper. Uh, <laughs> that's, that is sophisticated uh, teenage humor right there. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah the the <laughs> most the, the most sophisticated teenage humor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like what like and I remember like the I remember the VCR thing too because that's how you first learned how to edit if you didn't you know if you didn't have like rich parents that had access to audio production shit somehow or AV specifically because I would have had access to if I was just recording sound I could have used the family musician privilege but no I had to be difficult and do video. So I had to use this stuff at school. Um, yeah, I think only a handful of kids in your era actually had a computer at home that could you could input uh, video footage into and they could edit it. Made a couple. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, I know that it, even if I had, I'm sure dad would have been like no because cybersecurity reason like his you know he made his bread and butter for a long time and in addition to being a working musician he was in IT for 30 years so i had internet very very early uh but 
I know that he even he might have even been the kind of person where he was just like, I'm not putting Adobe software on this computer because it'll get too slow, even though we were like probably the fastest computer on the block. Oh, that was another thing is that do people use Premiere anymore? Because like every everything became Final Cut, like when my when I started looking at doing this stuff again, like how long was Premiere even a thing? Is it still or? No, it still is a thing. It's um, I got away from it because. Uh, once they move to the creative cloud where you have to basically like a subscription service, if you want premiere, you have to upload into their cloud and pay a monthly fee. And I'm, I was not going to do that. So probably around 2013, we started to make the shift toward uh, getting Macs with final cut pro, which is what I still have today. Now we have uh, for the first time ever, there's 10 editing computers. Whoa. I've never had, never had more than four kind of functioning ones so it's um it's nice yeah no that that sounds really nice especially the the volume of people and this, this is one of the things that sticks out once i move somewhere like new york where i'm dealing i meet transplants all the time from different areas of the country what sticks out about abington is this class size like how many like in the current graduating class like the seniors how many people is that right now do you think? Uh, well, now we just moved this year to um, housing 9 through 12 as opposed to 10 through 12, which it oh was for, my God. forever. Yeah. So there are the classes there are well over 600 people. There's almost 2,800 kids in the building. It's gigantic. It's, uh, yeah. they, they built a whole new wing. It's uh, I don't know if you've been by any time within the last five years. The construction no, has basically I... just been done construction and renovation it was a huge five-year project and the school is enormous and the class sizes this year are absolutely gigantic all my video classes have 30 kids in them oh my goodness which even when you have uh nice equipment and i have a for the first time a real control room and an actual studio and uh nice teleprompters and lighting and all that kind of stuff and separate editing my god yeah yeah, can you imagine? Mm. No such thing when uh, when you were there. Yeah, but uh, it's it's really nice. But there are so many kids that want to take it that the classes are really large and challenging. But mm-hmm. hey, I guess uh, just increases the chances of getting some kids in there that are is wild, crazy, and creative and awesome as uh, you, Seamus, Joe, and others were. Yeah, and we would all end up doing, like, a lot of creative work and stuff, either to, like, high school and college. I mean, like, like, like it definitely lasts, and, like, the impact of those classes 100%, you know, stood the test of time as being, like, a thing that pops out. You know, there's a lot in high school I don't remember, but, yeah, this was just such a big form of thing. Also, just the amount of time that I clocked physically being there. I would stay after school pretty late. Like, I remember it being dark, uh, and I would still be there, like chugging away at footage until like the absolute last minute that I was allowed to yeah. be there. You know, I remember well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kids, uh, there are always there are always kids like that, and even people who don't necessarily have any interest in going into uh, film or video or any kind of TV production. It's just a great spot to uh, really embrace a creative outlet and do something have fun using your imagination while you're in school which some kids just end up dreading well there's no reason why you can't uh enjoy yourself in school but you gotta bring something to the table i mean technical skills creative skills collaborative skills i mean it's a great fun way to exercise your creativity no matter what your future plans are absolutely and you know the thing is that now uh, video content has the ability to get you a lot of money really fast all of a sudden. And so it's not even considered like a frivolous, uh, o- like occupational choice, like going to film school, which, uh, by the way, I don't know if we ever, um, I-, I keep jokingly telling people that like one of the best things you ever did was like not pressure me to go to film school because my, I would have been a, <laughs> I would have had a completely different path where I, I don't know if I would have taken education as seriously, you know, uh, but like I did a year of community service between high school and college uh but like uh what, what was my training i remember what was that what did you it was uh 
what was, was the program called? I, it was City Year. It was City Year that City I went Year. to. And you know what's what's right. interesting is that that was actually the interview I recorded before this one today. So oh, uh, that I I just went through that whole thing on the phone, and I was just telling him I was just like it could I could have easily just gone to film school, but then I wouldn't have had the white privilege smacked out of me by City Year uh, by you know after going to this like first rate public school that Abington was that had a film program and had all this nice stuff even though the same tech wasn't there yet you know i went there to alney uh working within the high school in north philly it's not even five miles away from addington right. and the heat doesn't work it's 25 percent attendance rate half the students are older than me you know it's just it was like mind-blowing and i'm, I'm constantly you know grateful for that but i'm also grateful that i didn't like immediately get I like because I I think I entertain the idea of going to art school, but really like Mrs. Rogers, the community service person, was the one that was like, "Hey, I know guidance counselors are going to tell you that you need to go to college or your life is ruined, but have you considered this?" She was great. Uh, yeah, we miss her. She's been gone, I think, about four or five years now. She's definitely missed. Yeah, some school's tricky. I mean, I go. I just went through it this last week with. Uh, talking to parents and students about should you, shouldn't you. And I mean, it's a really difficult, complicated question, but not everyone needs it. I would just remember one kid. Um, well, now he's a grown man. Mm-hmm. He thought I was, he uh, would tell him, look, you're super talented. You need to go to film school. And I told him the opposite and I really surprised him. <laughs> uh, not, not everyone needs that he could have gotten into the film industry without going to film school there are plenty of people uh from writers to even people behind the camera and uh directing and cinematographers um that never went to film school um i don't think if some kids have a certain knack uh of how to pull an idea across the finish line or you know have an artistic sensibility and vision that he didn't need it and i knew he would always keep taking pictures making experimental videos just keeping it in his life in one way or another it turns out he's uh one of the lead marketing guys for um i don't i forget the name of the company but some cape may uh, resort type thing and he brings his creativity but he also went to business school after deciding not to do film school so yeah i mean for everybody's a little bit different i don't think it's the answer for everybody yeah and it's, i know it's, a bunch of people who uh went to temple for instance and they're making a living in the in the industry and there's mm-hmm. a bunch of kids that went to temple that aren't doing anything related to film or video production at all so you know did they waste their time no i don't think so but not a, unless you really i have to make movies or i mm-hmm. i can't imagine doing anything else but video production, unless you're really at that point, kind of like writing, you know, fiction writing, uh, I don't think you'll survive. It's tough. Um, if you don't want to be creative all the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's film like, the answer. Yeah. Film school's not always the answer for everybody. And, you know, for the people that I know that are in film school, also, depending on which one you go to, it can be kind of a racket. They can promise you a lot of stuff and industry connections and this, that, the other thing on top. And then, you know, they're, they're lying through the teeth. They're grabbing your money. And, you know, technology has changed so much. Like, you know, Kevin Smith talks about that. You can shoot a movie on your phone that looks yeah. good. You know, Steven you Soderbergh know. produced uh, a movie within the last couple of years and he shot the entire thing on an iPhone and it was yeah. broadcast in theaters. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that that is crazy. The ability for kids just to pull something out of their pocket and mm-hmm. get a really cinematic, awesome looking bit of video. I mean, that was so go ahead and go ahead and watch your DVD and see uh, the four by three aspect ratio, grainy, uh, <laughs> gross quality. And, you know. You can do so many more things with such less equipment nowadays. It's yeah, like really. you don't have to cart around these cameras with physical tape in them anymore. You know, it's right. a, the whole thing, and you don't have to deal with the same. I mean, you still lose footage. I've seen like that happens 
Uh, and, you know, thankfully that's not my end of production anymore. I'm the writer, the actor, and uh, talent wrangler just because I just know so much talent that I'm, and I'm good at working with people like that. But, you know, you don't, like, lose files the way that we used to lose files we lost an entire uh weapon of choice music video somewhere in the uh the jaws of whatever technology we had at that point it was just, it was just if, a, if a bit yeah. of tape if a bit of tape goes through the camera wrong and all of a sudden you hear a noise and then you hear terrible things happening that's gone yeah yeah <laughs> it's gone forever it doesn't matter true. like how long you did it um yeah it was, yeah, that was also, like, the start of my journey into, like, re- being a renegade casting agent. Is, is, is This is something that continued on. Like, now, when I produce things, half my talent is, like, professional wrestlers. The other half is that that's a long story. And then the other half is uh, stand-up comics. And then there's just, like, a couple other, like, drag queens and stuff thrown in there. But in high school, this was me approaching, like, people in the cheerleading squad that don't talk to me. Because I'm not a cheerleader. Uh, but, like, the the social hierarchy at Abington is very confusing because there's too many people to really truly establish a popular class. Like there's just set like when, and I've talked about this on the high school interviews where I'm like, I graduated with 700 people, you know, we look around at graduation and I remember saying to somebody next to me, like, I haven't seen like 200 of these people ever in my life. Yeah. At least it is yeah. really, it's definitely strange where it's too big to, I think that's still true. There's no like, you know, elitist kind of clique group that runs the school or is looked at in that mm-hmm. kind of way. Sure, you have your groups. I mean, you always have and always will. But it's I think that's one kind of cool thing about Abington. There isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just so many kids that you uh, nobody can t- quite take control of. It. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the the typical, like, mean girl hierarchy thing, you know, like, yeah, it was kind of there, but at the same time, like, you don't, you, you might, like, have three classes with someone one year, and then you just don't have any classes with them for the next two years following that, and you, like, lose track of them as a friend. Like, not even mm-hmm. just, like, in class, it's just like, oh, man, I haven't seen you in a while, even if they're, like, on the other side of the building somewhere. Uh, but, yeah, like, but anyway, backtracking, this is when I started, like, having absolutely no fear about who I would cast in these productions. I'd just be approaching people, like, as, as Val and her friend that were both, like, cheerleaders, I'm like, hey, I want you to be in this Jurassic Park knockoff sketch where like Dan Kress is a punk kid with a you know mohawk is pretending to be a dinosaur so this is me like uh, yeah. It, yeah yeah so like I believe it, they it's, called him Dinosaur Dinosaur yeah and yeah. it was also just me like I have to find somebody with a car so I had to figure out like which chick had a car that could convincingly pull that off and you know I had to uh, and, I, and you know, again, it's two different social girls. Like, Dan is somebody from, like, you know, back in the early aughts, everybody with the big pants playing hacky sacks. Uh, the, the big pants have come back. The hacky sacks have not. Uh, did he have a pur- purple mohawk, too, I think? Yeah, he did. He did. And then I'm also, like, working with cheerleaders. And then I would just find people all over the school, you know, just like, hey, you seem cool. Or, hey, I saw you in the high school musical. Do you want to be in one of my weird videos? Or, hey, you seem like in Randy Reyes's case. I'm like, we're going to make a documentary about you somehow. Um, and oh, my <laughs> goodness. Ran- weird. I yeah. forgot about Randy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I love I- Randy. Yeah, he he was something else. And also, the, the, another thing I really liked that just popped into my head, teachers were in the sketches, too. Like, a lot. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, you were in my, like, you were in a couple of my sketches, apart from being off camera and throwing gravy at me. You were, like, you were in the one sketch that I, it's still one of my favorites, where I was just doing an ad for the t-shirts that we were selling, that I still have, the t-shirts that we were selling uh, to support the after-school portion of the club. There's, like, these $8 t-shirts. And I did this whole thing, like, the, a parody of, like, the Starving Child in Africa commercials, where I was just, like... Like, this is Mr. Quigley. He needs a new camera, but he he just can't afford one. Isn't that right? And then you're, like, trying to plug, like, wires into a cardboard box that has, like, camera written on it in Sharpie. And you're like, yeah, I got Mr. Camera here. And, like, yeah. and you, I, did, you killed it, by the way. You know, uh, I, I didn't enter comedy proper uh, until, I'm going to say, like, 2011. Uh, like, did I actually start, like, messing with comedy clubs and stuff? But that was also another 
another instance of where I was like, I don't need to cast people who call themselves comedians to make comedy. That's like not necessary. There's just, I just need people who are funny, who have good timing. And like you were every time you appeared in a sketch, you did great. Uh, and well, I think it goes both ways, though, when you're talking about the uh, the girls that you just met and you put them in a car and they got to act freak out, freaked out when Dan is acting like a Tyrannosaurus Rex and uh, banging on the thing. They were great, not because just because they were great and willing to do it. You could uh, you were inspiring to them. I mean, they gave you something that you wanted. Uh, they didn't just pull it out of thin air. It came Somebody's got to be that creative force, and that's definitely what what you were. Yeah, I I'm like me and directing is an interesting topic because I've never had any formal training in it whatsoever, and it's always just something I've done out of necessity. But people will tell me like, "Oh, you're, you're decent at directing," and I'm just like, "I have no idea what I'm doing." And you know, like that shit. Like for season two of Kate's Bunker, my fictional podcast, I'm sort of trying to find another director that isn't me because I'm also acting in it and I can't really direct myself and it's audio and voice acting but it's another thing that came full circle because people are like oh wow you can direct and I'm like I feel like I'm just trying to move this along and I can't pay another person but that's something that I learned in high school doing these things uh just trial by fire with no like real I mean you like you covered some directing topics I'm sure in there but like that's that's the kind of thing that would have been probably a whole seminar in film school right like well I think you did I, I can't even remember if you took the digital, I had the media production, which is more uh, for a daily announcements program. Mm -hmm. And then the digital filmmaking class, which I, I definitely remember Seamus and Joe being in. I definitely that took that because film. that was the one where you showed us a bunch of movies, right? That like, I remember watching Raising Arizona in your class. Yeah. So which class Classic. was that? Uh, that was digital filmmaking. Yeah. Right. Which right. Is, now it doesn't exist with that title, but um, I have a second level video production course that we've been involved in a really large um, high school film festival for probably 12 years or so. And oh, that's awesome. part of me thinks that you, you came a little bit too early because I would I barely had my feet under under myself in terms of teaching filmmaking with brand new technology that I didn't, you know, when I went to school, I had an English and film degree, but I was cutting actual film. I did, there was no such oh, thing wow. as digital video. Yeah. So I kind of had to uh, learn all that stuff myself and it took a, a while. And now once we got involved with that film festival, it was a lot. We talked a lot about screenwriting and making a legit short film comedy and, We've won best comedy for the six last six years running. Uh, we've yes. gotten pretty good at it. I wish I wish I had uh, I had you a little bit uh, more in recent times, just because I think I'd be able to. On the one hand, I can say, oh, I'd be able to give you some more guidance, but let's be honest, I think you were you were you were driving. I was just there to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did the. Um... I, I don't know. I just did, did the best I could with what I had. But, you know, the other result of this memoir project has been my parents, like, coughing up facts with, like, oh, you read an entire Funk and Wagnalls encyclopedia series when you were, like, four. So there was also an element of there of just me being, like, uh, bored to death in my regular classes and needing that extra outlet both through, through you and through, like, the visual art program as well because, like, Abington has also, like, world-class for especially in terms of a public school and visual arts so i yeah i, I received that encouragement that way but uh in a, in a weird way i kind of am because my journey has been so convoluted and i've been so many places before i came full circle and now i'm back doing like comedy in you know video sketch form and audio as well i'm kind of glad that I wasn't in the same era because it led me to do all of this other stuff that informed my career where it is now. And, you know, if I had always been in film, I wouldn't have done stand up probably. And stand up is the hardest 
thing you can do as a creative, I think. Like, I th- maybe there's some other stuff that might be able to have an argument, but you, uh, in a cold, unforgiving room yeah. with your th- The vulnerability fears. involved in stand-up, I don't think, can be matched by too many other things. Yeah, yeah. And then, so, in contrast, now that I've gone back to this thing where I'm, like, behind the camera and it's in rooms and everything, I'm like, this is a delight. I'm being taken back to a much simpler time in high school. I'm not in this, like, insane, abusive uh, industry where, like, everybody who makes it all the way to the end of stand-up is miserable. Like, there are, like, there are, like, no happy, famous stand-up comedians. There's maybe, like, one or two. Uh, There's a few that are my friends, uh, but comedy, like, stand-up, the nature of it has become so fragmented over streaming services and youtube and everything that like who is and isn't famous is a a weird designation now because of like how uh like dissolved media is across all of these platforms like millions well, and this whole are... idea of kind of going back to the beginning of content now everything yeah. content 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 yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. the things being like 30 seconds long uh and everything is different and but one thing i really like and i don't know if this this is something i wanted to talk about i don't know if this has come around with like the current student base uh the younger generation seems to really like absurdist humor right now like that's what tiktok is turning into and i have noticed that with like the fans that i'm starting to get like they're all over the map but i have a lot of younger fans because they're getting way into this like surrealist comedy and a lot of it's because like regular you know standard comedy central comedy a lot of that revolves on like jokes targeting marginalized people which is no longer something that people want ever uh they you know they want to see diversity and casting and everything but like are are you see are you seeing that coming through or is that just like always been a thing with the av kids or like it like has the kind of stuff they like the things they film changed over time well i think it has always been there i don't i don't think it'll ever disappear kids like to be i don't mean this in a derogatory way but like just silly yeah and have fun Mm-hmm. But uh, I think you're right in that, well, I mean, look around, the world is a crazy place. Yeah. And sometimes, you, uh, I mean, the whole idea of consuming content through TikTok, Instagram, you know, it's escapist. And uh, the absurd kind of a, absurdist approach is fun for people. Um, and we always, I've never let go of that uh, ever since throwing gravy and those types of things. We're always looking to kind of, be a little bit ridiculous. I was uh, eating just the other day, eating popcorn, watching these uh, a guy and a girl. They host their own Good News Monday show. It's completely ridiculous. Uh, there's nothing serious about it. Uh, and I was just eating popcorn, watching them not fighting. Well, I mean, they're physically confronting each other. And I'm just uh, watching. Uh, you know, it, But everybody, I don't know. I'll never let go of that goofball tone. People, they want to be entertained when they're watching a TV show at school, just like they would be at home watching their phone. So got to give the people what they want. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, like we already kind of covered the phone thing, but that's, that's also, it's just such a big, uh, like I, I would have killed to have been able to just run around with my phone and film stuff because, you know, we also had to share all of this equipment with other students, including the editing computer. So, you know, if you were a procrastinating artist like me and then, you know, you had to be in line with everybody else editing, that that occasionally yeah. could be kind of a nightmare, probably like part of the reason I was staying so late, too. Um, but in addition yeah. to the, the other thing I want to mention, in addition to the green screen, I also painted a mural, which I think like we had some year end. We either had a year end community service project or I was trying to hit a goal for the congressional award. One of the two. Uh, I think for- it was the congressional award. It was. OK. And me saying, look around this room. It's pathetic and bland (laughs) will you please help me yeah what should i do i don't care what you do do anything come up with an idea and chances are i'm gonna say i love it and that's that i had the mtv hall of fame up on the top row of the mural which you uh are in Mm -hmm. but now that wall that had the hall of fame stuff on it is is long gone Mm -hmm. but i took a nice high resolution pictures of everything i just started printing stuff pictures in my old room that murals that were uh eventually you were long gone but my whole 
room was covered with like uh, mostly literary type murals, covers of um, uh, novels and plays and stuff like that. Uh, but you were the very first mural on there, I think. It was either you or Jackie Kessler. Yeah, I think it, I think it was definitely me. Uh, and because it would have been, yeah, because that, that was either 2005 or 2006. I graduated in 2006. Uh, yeah. but... I think the mural said 2005 on it. I think oh, that's when okay. You did it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you stared at it all day. I um, stared at it while all I was day for it, 20 years. Not, Anna. Yeah, for 20, 20 years. years. 20 years. My God. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually pulling up the uh, picture to make sure it's, it's, well, it's got a bunch of chairs in front of it. Five. And Hold again, up. this is one of those things where I'm just like, oh, Hannah Sutton is in fact actually written somewhere. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, you are still alive in the, in the halls uh-huh. of good, good old Abington. Yeah. And as long oh. as I'm there, you, you will be. Because, like I said, I tell the gravy story. And and Mr. Roboto, uh, <laughs> among others, but those are those are pretty consistent uh, tells. I you know I got to convince kids that I really mean it when I say I want you to do whatever you want, have fun being creative, and I'm just here to facilitate. So some kids buy in, and some kids get back to that phone. Yeah, it's great, and you say I wish I was in that era where I could just constantly make content. Well, mm-hmm. I'd say a significant portion of students become less creative the greater the access to technology is because they're just consuming consuming machines you know those phones aren't yeah they're built you can create stuff you can shoot stuff but what's easier to do is walk into a classroom put your head in a phone and just watch tiktok videos rather than make them yourself that's been a challenge for sure over the last 10 years where it's easier to dial out. Sure, it's easier to make a movie on your phone, but um, just because it's easier doesn't mean you're more likely to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also the bar for being viral is pretty arbitrary or low. Like one of the t- like you can make something that is just you reacting to someone else's video and suddenly get two million views as a part of like the you know you can work forever or something. And that's something I've said before. It always happens with creatives. Is like the thing that you think is a throwaway frequently becomes the most popular thing that you've done. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I've, I've never been a fan of reaction videos. That maybe. In- too old i i don't i don't get it but i don't get it either uh and i'm like weird with like i i don't scroll tiktok but i do use it because it is the uh best way to get people to draw to draw attention to something else that you have um tiktok is responsible for a lot of the traffic to my podcast projects and everything yeah i mean you you don't really have a i mean you have a choice but you don't really (laughs) i mean if you're not plugged into Instagram or TikTok or both, uh, you're in today's world, you're definitely not going to reach the same amount of people. There's yeah, no way. If nothing else, you're leaving money on the table. Like there's some stuff like the, the older audiences that pick up on Kate's bunker. It's because I'm on RSS and I'm on audible. So it's not that like you can get no traction, but uh, if you don't use Instagram reels and you don't use TikTok, you are just leaving money on the table because those algorithms, unlike just regular posting on Instagram, regular posting on Twitter and Facebook, where they want you to cough up money so more people see it, uh, Instagram reels and TikTok, uh, they just, they're like, no, we're going to show you, like, we're going to get all you all of these views because we know that if you take those little dopamine hits, you take those likes and you get enough of them, you're going to keep churning out content for us because the majority exactly. of our people aren't churning out content. So like TikTok figured that out and then Instagram had to comply because they realized that all of the people they're making Instagram video content that they were like banning were like or for arbitrary reasons or just like shadow banning or you just weren't getting a lot of views we're all like just migrating over to tiktok you know same with youtube too is that youtube can be difficult to get off the ground like yeah 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 do you have any like uh do you have any students that end up like actually like monetizing content and everything at this point or it's weird i mean i have a 15 year old sophomore right now who's got over 20,000 Instagram followers and he makes a living. He has his own business making mostly sports uh, centered video where 
you know, some wrestling organization, like a not professional wrestling, yeah. uh, high school wrestling organization will say, Hey, come to this event. we got a big tournament on a Saturday and make us a video that we can use to promote things. Oh my uh, or, God. or an individual player. Hey, get some of my highlights. And he's really good at it. He can turn over. Uh, he's just got a, he's a great, uh, cameraman. He's can edit with the best of them. He knows color correction. Wow. And stuff looks, looks totally pro. And, um, he's not even out of high school. So, yeah. uh, outside of high school, I'm sure, um, I'm sure there are, I keep in touch with, you know, a couple, you know, several kids that come out of every year, but you know, that it doesn't always last. Uh, For so sure. I, I don't know. I'm sure some of them are, but I yeah, don't know how I many, mean, but it more... doesn't, they don't even need to be out of high school and they can have a successful, uh, make a living. Exactly. And that's, that's what I was more aiming towards. I was trying to figure out like, if there's somebody who is like currently a teenager, and of course there is, you know, that that's something that wasn't you know accessible to me either. And it's nice that I like managed to operate outside the industry and still managed to get some kind of hook in where I am now. Uh, but yeah. you know, what, if I had just gone to film school, my only option would have been to throw myself into the industry meat grinder and also uh, be, be a woman uh, and thrown into that meat grinder, which is a whole other ball of wax. Uh, yeah. and, and, that's... It, and it a little bit different of a time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 No, I would have been a, a queer woman in the film industry at that point that in uh, 2006, which it had been a whole other thing. You know, there, there's like a lot of things like I, I have a disability. I can't drive. So like if they had said something like you can only go to Los Angeles, I would have been in a whole other situation, too, where I, you know, I would have been handicapped in my ability to get to certain studios or whatever I need right. to do with the drop of a hat. You know, I, it's. I'm really glad, like, again, thank you so much for not pressuring me to go to film school for any, because there are some high school teachers that are just, like, they need that, like, exit quota of some kind, uh, and, oh, yeah. and guidance yeah. counselors are absolutely like that. The way the way that guidance counselors freaked out at me for not immediately going to college was, is in retrospect, kind of upsetting. Like, they're, they- And it's got, uh, it's gotten worse, oh, much worse, with God. AP classes, and, uh, you know, the whole, there was a- legit everyone should go to college movement mm. in our school and it that's just not that's not the way to serve the entire student body some kids absolutely shouldn't go to college whether it's right out of high school or after um, some kids that aren't interested yet they're pushed into following this track where this is the way you do it and if you don't do it you're never going to be successful yeah. uh, it's kind of a little bit better uh, we're starting to have this pathways approach where kids can kind of tailor their own interests. But um, you would have just been pressured to take every single AP class that mm -hmm. Abington offered. And, you know, that's kind of the way that it's going right now. But mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the idea of going to college and how much it costs nowadays, that's a whole nother conversation that oh, yeah. we probably don't need to have, but it's there. Yeah, Important. no, it, de it definitely is. And, you know, part of the advantage of me going to AmeriCorps is that they gave me a, a little chunk of change to go to school. And I ended up going to Westchester so that it wasn't that expensive as school back then. So it, it did make the difference. Like I had a, essentially a, a semester of school I paid for with my AmeriCorps scholarship. Uh, but that's not something that would have happened if I didn't take that gap year. If, you know, Mrs. Rogers didn't like show up in a back alley like, hey, have you heard about community service instead of going to college because you seem to not what, know what you want and like thank god she did uh is i had a whole other experience going out um and you know and then there's also the whole topic of like if students that were doing worse would occasionally get like drafted by the tech school like oh you're never gonna be uh you know this that the other thing so you have you considered hvac you know and go over to get bossed over to eastern tech you know i, I don't know do they still mm -hmm. do that or yeah eastern's huge mm -hmm. and it's a, it is a really great uh i mean it's kind of unfortunate when all the high schools to have all those whether it's shop hvac construction mm -hmm. hairstylist auto repair mm -hmm. you know schools can't they can't house all that equipment anymore no. so the kids have to leave school and go to eastern it's it's a huge operation and mm -hmm. a great place for kids to pick up um trades real skills that you know can land them 
a job and yeah. right out of high school and not involve a whole bunch of mountain of debt. Absolutely. And that's it's it's interesting, like the way that this public school system tracks students. It's just that, like, if you were an AP kid and you wanted to be a hairstylist, they were like, no, you can't do that. That's for the kids that aren't doing well. You know, it's just like and that sends such all these like sinister messages about the integrity of those op- occupations, too. It's just like, no, you're like one of the white collar, you know, uh, we don't right. need to get on a whole political rant about that. But like, that's well, it's funny this- you should say that because after pretty shortly after you were gone uh when you were there it, there were a whole lot of tracks going on mm-hmm. there was a an honor ap honors college prep college and career uh, and that had the stigma of being the lowest level and pretty shortly after you left or maybe it started right around the time you graduated um we eliminated that bottom college and career level which had this kind of uh, stigma associated with it and yeah yeah, um, they they definitely gotten better about that. I mean, a kid can really kind of challenge themselves, you know, t- with any kind of coursework. They're not mm-hmm. jammed into one place or another. Even uh, they're not forced into AP or honors classes. If senior year, I I, I don't want to take AP physics. It's going to destroy yeah. me. Well, they don't have to, and that you know that that is happening. It's gotten better for sure. That's good. That, that's definitely good to hear. So we got a lot of things that, you know, we talk a lot about education on this podcast already because I'm interviewing people I went to elementary school with, I went to junior high with, a high school, and it's largely uh, people that were also in the gifted programs. And we talk a lot about how gifted kids get segre- segregated, like the second they catch on you're really smart in elementary school, uh, that they that's when they start bussing you over to Apex and treating you like special and everything. And also it was the 90s, so that was also when they were just immediately giving you Ritalin. Um, uh, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is interesting how that it's, it's good to hear that the track system's changing a little bit because of that, you know, that stigma that would happen. Um, do they still have, I know I've talked about this in a previous interview. Um, do they still have interdisciplinary? Do they still do the thing where like, if you're a weird enough art kid, like the, the, the Harry Potter recruitment people show up and go like, Hey, you should do interdisciplinary. Listen, listen uh, to you with your, with your label. <laughs> and uh, restricted putting kids in a little box. Yes, yeah. still goes on. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. for the kids that uh, a lot of project-based learning, a lot of collaboration. Mm-hmm. It's uh, great. Not I as much introduce. homework or essay writing, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that class is still uh, rolling along. Did you have Mr. Turner when you? I uh, did not. Did you? You didn't take interdisc? I don't remember. Yeah, no, I did not have Mr. Turner. Mr. Turner did know who I was. Uh, and, oh, this is another thing I kept forgetting to bring up, is that uh, when Joe was substitute teaching at Abington, uh, and he would be the interview before this one uh, chronologically, but when Joe was substitute teaching at Abington, I came to school with him one day. We walk into the faculty room, and there are all of these teachers that knew who I was and all my business, but I had never actually had them before. And I'm like, was I really... I was really that out of pocket, but also stuck you were in my head. Uh, you were famous, Hannah. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to I'd like to think that uh, I I was on those coattails a little bit, helped you, uh, encouraged you to be the dynamo that you were, so that other people, even if they never had you in class or never had a conversation with you, they they knew who you were. Yeah, and that That's a, that doesn't happen very often, by the way. I yeah I wondered about that after and you know and I, I'll talk to other people from high school too and say because they also people frequently brought up how I dress too uh I, like back in high school where it was just I was just a walking thrift store rack um I, at one point I was carrying a spatula around my neck and stuff and it's just like I stuck out and I just I remember I, I giant care. giant boots with a uh-huh. lot of laces yeah uh, yeah well, you yeah. were here. There's definitely an I in the DVD menu for one of the uh like the DVD menu like as we made these animated DVD menus there was like one selection screen where I'm in like fairy wings and like a like a Brazilian dance skirt and New Balances with sunglasses yeah. just uh, dancing I just, on an endless loop 
to uh, yeah. the DVD menu. Yeah. Yeah. And it was Felix the House Cat, too. Like, this was a early aughts Electro Clash that we had playing. Um, and I, that was a lot of the kind of music I was listening to. And I made, I made you a mixed CD. I made a lot of teachers mixed CDs when I really think about it. Uh, sure. Yeah. I, I played in all the time until CDs just stopped becoming a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I still old. have your mix CD. I have like a spindle of 50 old DVDs and CDs. I'm sure it's there. I don't know where. Yeah. I don't. I haven't played a CD in a long time. Oh yeah, no, me, me neither, me neither. Um, well, uh, I think that we are kind of reaching the general uh, conclusion of the interview. Uh, do you have any? Uh, do you have any final thoughts, or is there? Are there any? Do you think there's any like? weird had moments that i i left out that it might be immediately popping to mind or um just uh, i mean that outside of the the gravy and rubato and the uh the poor mr quigley mtv t-shirt thing uh i definitely remember all those very specific details but other than that it's just the general creative uh wacky and i mean that in the best possible way vibe mm-hmm. between you and joe and Seamus. Um, you know, I was lucky to, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I still love my job is because I'm always getting these students who are unique, fun, creative people. If I didn't have that, um, I don't know. I wouldn't like my job. Yeah. I wouldn't like it as much. Yeah, exactly. And the teaching has so many moving parts that have gotten worse and especially public teaching. I mean, you're at, you're at a fantastic public school uh, that I didn't appreciate exactly how fantastic it was in the context of public schools until I started working in Philadelphia public schools. Uh, but, you know, the it, teaching's gotten so much harder, you know, like there's so yeah. many obstacles and things like that. And it's really great to hear that you're you're still out there making big differences in students lives and people are going out and you de- you definitely made a big difference in mine so thank you thank you so much well i i'm thank you yeah uh, it goes it's a two-way street it's not about me it's about the students more than anything so there isn't I'm, it, i was lucky to have you oh thank you so much yeah there isn't a better way to end this podcast it's just a, <laughs> that's like we're <laughs> we're sentimental we're warm and fuzzy we're ready to log off uh th- thank you for coming on i haven't heard that name in years uh brian quickly thank you so much <laughs> uh, thank you all right